This is Dr. Jim Cox, and this is uh, October the 9th, 2023. And tonight we're looking at uh, chapter 14 and possibly chapter 15 of Ron Rhodes' book, Basic Bible Prophecy. And tonight we're going to take a look also and start out with talking about Israel and uh, what's going on with the invasion by Hamas or in, the, in their land. So I'd like to start out tonight by taking a look in the book. And as we get into the chapter 15, I'm going to skip forward. The very first section that Ron Rhodes has is about the nation of Israel and her surrounding neighbors. And I think it's very relevant for what we're going to be talking about relative to the, the invasion by Hamas. So let's turn there. Let me get a page number for you. Okay, that would be that would be on page 15. Oh, excuse me, 173, chapter 15, page 173. And uh, I'll read the introduction to the chapter uh, when we formally get to there. But I'm going to skip over to the next page, which is page 174. And uh, he's he's got uh, titled the centrality of Israel. And I think it's a good introduction to what we're going to be talking about here. So if you have your book, uh, you can read along. If you don't have your book, just uh, listen up and uh, I'll read some of this here. It says, Israel is a mere 8,000 square miles. It is minuscule compared to the overall 5 million square miles of Arab real estate that surrounds her. Today, Muslim extremists say that their goal is to destroy the great Satan and the lesser Satan, meaning the United States and Israel. They boast that soon we will have a United States free and Israel free world. Some Muslim extremists have said quite pointedly that they want to wipe Israel off the map. With Israel being so geographically small, a Muslim territory being so geographically large, one can easily understand the existential threat that exists today against Israel. A number of Islamic organizations pose a threat against Israel. Hezbollah, for example, is a Lebanese umbrella organization of radical Islamic Shiites who hate Israel. They advocate the establishment of Shiite Islamic rule in Lebanon and the liberation of all occupied Arab lands, including Jerusalem. Hezbollah has been relentless in vowing to destroy Israel. Iran has continuously provided financial backing to Hezbollah, amounting to hundreds of millions of dollars. Sound like we're reading the news, right? Exactly. Another example is Hamas, an organization that says that negotiations with Israelis are a waste of time because the Arabs and Israelis cannot coexist. The military wing of the organization has committed countless terrorist attacks and atrocities against Israel including hundreds of suicide bombings. Hamas has received funding from Iran, Saudi Arabia, the Gulf States, United Arab Emirates, Syria, and Iraq. Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khomeini claims that Iran has a major role to play in the destruction of Israel, and for that reason must obtain the strongest weapons possible. Khamenei has promised that Israel will not survive the next 25 years. 
With that threat in mind, it is sobering to realize that Iran is seeking to develop nuclear weapons and obtain missiles capable of delivering nuclear payloads. Such circumstances are not a surprise to those familiar with biblical prophecy. Scripture tells us that Israel be, will increasingly be a sore spot in the world and in the end times. In Zechariah 12:2, God prophetically affirms, I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. The ESV translates it, Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The NIV puts it, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. If there's one thing this verse tells us, it's that even though Israel is small, the end times turmoil generated by the nation will affect many larger nations. The nations that surround Israel are Islamic. They are brutally anti-Semitic. We may expect plenty of reeling in the years to come. And uh, I'm going to stop there and we'll get into some of this other thing here. But what I'd like to do first of all is take a look at the scriptures and the relationship that God has with Israel. And so we're going to, if you take uh, handout number 92 here. It's called God's Special Relationship with Israel and the Land of and the Land of Israel. It's a handout. It was on the table tonight. So we'll start at Genesis 12:1. Genesis 12:1 says, "Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you.'" So this is where it all started, when God calls Abraham from the the city of Ur. And he takes off and he's promised that this God that spoke to him will give him a land. In Genesis 12, 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Leviticus 25, 23 and 24 says, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the country you possess you shall allow redemption of the land. So what was happening here is when the law was given, people could sell their land, but then after 50 years, the year of Jubilee, they had to give the land back. And why? Because it was God's land. It wasn't theirs to sell. I hear a sound. Where is that coming from? Where are they? Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's what, thank you, Lauren. Okay. I thought I was hearing myself. <laughs> So, Leviticus 25, and so it's God's land. That's his point. You can go ahead and you can rent it, you can sell it, but when 50 years comes around, it all reverts back to the original owners because God's just loaning it to everybody. It's his land. 
Psalm 135.4. The Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel's own possession. So we see here that the scriptures acknowledge that there's a special relationship between Abraham's descendants and God. It starts with Abraham. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. As far as God's concerned, Israel is his treasured possession. Not like just any nation. Israel's a special nation. And it goes back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 9. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you, and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And so it goes back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. And I thought it'd be good just to look at that again just a little bit here. So going back to Genesis 15, verses 12 through 16. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, or Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so before Abraham even had one, one descendant, no sons, God already tells him what's going to happen to his descendants. They're going to go into a strange land for 400 years. They're going to be kept there. And then when they come out, they're going to come out with great possessions. And then they're going to return back to this land the land that God promised them in the fourth generation. Here, generations is, is conceived as 100 years. In the fourth generation, they're going to come back to the land, God says. And this is before, again, Abraham even had a son. God's telling him what the future is going to hold for his descendants. That's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? He's telling him already, this won't happen for another 500 years, right? So, going on here, Genesis 15, 17 through 18. 
When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Remember when they make a covenant, they take animal and they divide it, put the parts on both sides, and those making the covenant walk through the divided animals. Which means if you break the covenant, then you're going to be the same fate as these animals, right? But what happens? Abraham is put to sleep. Only God goes through and makes the covenant. Which makes this what type of covenant, folks? Thanks, Lord. An unconditional covenant. In other words, whatever God promises, he's going to do it. Regardless of what Abraham or his descendants do. Okay? That's what unconditional means. And so, what does he promise? On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Who who belongs in that land? Abraham and his descendants. That's who owns the land. Isaiah 49, 14 through 16. Again, this shows, again, the special relationship between Israel and God. But Zion said, I'm on, the, I'm on the next page now, on the backside. But Zion said, Zion is Jerusalem, okay? The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And God's response, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God will not forget his people and uh, Jerusalem. Very similar, Zechariah 2, 7 through 8. Up, I escaped to Zion. You who dwell with the daughter of Babylon, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of Zion. I guess the apple eyes that sweet spot right in the middle there, and that's the way Israel is to God. His eye is always on Israel. And I didn't put this in here, but when we want to know where we are in terms of the time frame, in terms of prophecy, we go back to Daniel. And in chapter 9, it says, he, Gabriel tells Daniel, this Daniel's for your people in your city. And that's the 70 weeks. And the, seventh week, the, the last week is the tribulation. So we time everything by what's going on with Israel as far as prophecy is concerned. Why? Because Israel is central on God's mind in accomplishing his plan and what he's promised and working out the promises that he gave to Abram, but also the plan to have authority over this earth and mankind again. Remember right now, it tells us in 1 John 5, 19, it says the world is in the power of the evil one. Now you may say, well, wait a second, isn't God sovereign? He has allowed Satan for at least a, 
a moment in time to have authority over the earth. Remember when Jesus was taken to the tip of the temple and Satan says, I'll give you all these kingdoms, just worship me. That was a true offer, folks. It was a true temptation. So right now, you know, Satan, we looked at this in another handout, but you know, Second Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is called the prince of power of the air. In Ephesians 2, 2, he's called the God of this world. And uh, in, in John uh, 14, I think it's around verse 30, he's called the ruler of this world. So we're seeing a plan centered on Israel to bring this under God's immediate authority again when Jesus Christ rules on the throne of David. All right, so going back here. In Jeremiah 31, 35 through 37, I think we referred to this even last, last time we met. And this is right after God gives the new covenant, the new covenant to Israel. It says, thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who steers up the sea so its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundation of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. You see how he's using a negative to, to show a positive here? He's saying, if this fixed order departs from me, that is, the moon and the stars moving in their courses and so forth, then I'll give up on Israel. Well, that's not going to happen. And then he says, if you can measure the whole heavens, the foundations of the earth can be explored. If you can do that, then I'll give up on Israel. Otherwise, I'm not giving up on her. And that's the relationship God has with Israel. That he's not going to allow her to go out of existence and allow her to be destroyed because he has a special relationship with her. Now going further, Ezekiel 5, 5 says, Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her. When God looks at the center of the world, it's Jerusalem. And even further here, we see in Ezekiel 36, 5, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations, against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and other contempt. They might make its pasture lands a prey. Again, he's referring to this land as his land. And then in Ezekiel 38, again, he refers to where he's placed Israel here. And say, and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people. Joel Security is talking about the invasion by Russia here, which we're going to talk about again. I don't know if we'll get to it tonight, but uh, 
your author deals with it again in, in chapter 15, so we'll, we'll address it. But it says, all them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to seize, spoil, and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited, and the people who are gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth. Those people are Israel, is dwelling at the center of the earth. And uh, I read that some of the old way back map makers actually put Israel in the center, like the navel, your belly button in a body, because of the scripture says they're at the center of everything. So everything was drawn, the center of the map was right here, Israel. Interesting, isn't it? And that's how God views it. And you know he views it that way because where's the capital when the millennium was set up? Jerusalem. When we are in the eternal state, where's our main residence going to be? New Jerusalem. Jerusalem's always on God's mind. Ezekiel 38, 16. You will come against my people, Israel, like a cloud covering the land. In latter days, I'll bring you against my land that the nations may know me when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And then we see in Joel 3, 1 and 2, it says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restored the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. God does not like his land divided up. And in the end times, one of the reasons that God intervenes and punishes all these nations is because they messed with his land and his people. Scared his people and divided his land. What do you think? What do you think God thought of when they gave the gods a strip? To basically the Arabs. He didn't like it. As soon as they got that, they started shooting rocks from there. They can't reach Jerusalem, they can reach Tel Aviv. And so that's what we see today. So where does that leave us? Well, the question is, what we see today, do we see a hint of that in the scriptures? And when we talked about this before, uh, people looked in the scriptures and they said, well, here are the wars that we know we have. And I didn't run this off again, but you have handout number 50, and it's called the Wars of the End Times. And the very first one that's listed here, and this is by your authors here. In fact, there's a list of these wars in your new book. That's where I borrowed it from. But the very first one is the War of Extermination, Psalm 83. So the psalm states that the immediate neighbors of Israel will launch a war for the purpose of wiping out Israel as a nation. 
the nation described as being part of this nefarious effort are those with a common border with Israel today. And so, who are these people? Well, you have a handout, number 93, and, and I will say this, that when it comes to Psalm 83, there's a difference of opinion among prophecy teachers whether this is a war or not. I would say it probably splits 50-50. From what I've seen written about half prophecy teacher would say yes, this is a war on the horizon and it's probably going to occur before the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war when Russia invades with Iran and some other nations. Muslim nations. And one reason they reason that is that it was strange. When you look at the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war, these nations that are going to invade Israel are not the nations that have a boundary with Israel. They're nations farther out. And you can see that if uh, you take a look on the back of this, there's a map. Let me pull it out of here. In the back here. This is a previous handout also, by the way. I just ran it off again. The previous version you have is probably in color. Okay, I just printed a black and white in the back. So you can see that. But when you take a look at the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war, notice that the nations that are mentioned here are the ones that are outside of Israel. They're, they don't have a common border. You see Israel right in the middle there, right? You see other nations all around, but they're not right next to Israel. So the question is, well, why aren't they part of this war? I mean, that's been a big question mark. Why aren't the nations right around? You would think if they're going to be invaded, and these are Muslim nations, that those right around Israel that are Muslim would also be part of that war. You would think. And so, oh, I would say about, well, the guy that made this popular, and, and if you take a look at the Psalm 83 here, and you look at the bottom, Bill Sellis is a prophecy teacher. And he was the first one that, that really popularized uh, looking at Psalm 83 as a possible war. And, of course, you see it came out in 2013. So it's about 10 years ago, this idea that perhaps there's another war that we didn't see in Scripture could be. And it turns out that those that are mentioned in this one are the ones that immediately surround Israel. So it's, it's theorized if this war takes place, then God will intervene and Israel will intervene to conquer their immediate neighbors and then they'll be at peace before this other war occurs. And some even string it together that when this Psalm 83 war occurs, it may, it may create a vacuum where it, it prompts Russia to decide to invade Israel along with the other, other nations mentioned. We will talk about it in more detail but we're gonna focus on this other one first. 
So, is what we're seeing today relevant to the Psalm 83 war? Well, let's, let's take a look at the passage first and see what it says. And what I did is I annotated it by putting the current names of who these peoples are that are mentioned in the psalm. And by the way, these, these peoples are from two different sources I looked up that, and they agreed with each other of who is the, are in these locations now, today, of these people are mentioned. So let me go, you can read along with me. It says, Psalm 83, one through eight, a song, a psalm of Asaph. O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. There's that word treasured again. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom, that is the Palestinians in modern day southern Jordan. And the Ismailites, modern day Saudi Arabia. Moab, Palestinians in modern day central Jordan. And the Hagrites, or the Hagarines, modern day Egypt. Gibal, Hezbollah in modern day northern Lebanon. And Ammon, Palestinians in modern day northern Jordan. Namalek, Arabs of the modern-day Sinai Peninsula. Philistia, modern-day Gaza, Hamas. With the inhabitants of Tyre, modern-day southern Lebanon, Hezbollah. Asher, modern-day Syria and northern Iraq, also has joined them. They are the strong arm, the children of Lot. So, what we see right now in that list is first of all we see Hamas, we see maybe Hezbollah in the north. That's why it's said, at least off the news, is that it, it, the Israel's not committing their whole army to the south because they think there might be an invasion from the north. And certainly the Palestinians are terrorists, those that live right around them in Jordan. They're probably involved with this conflict as well. Now the one that doesn't seem to make sense is Saudi Arabia because they're going through those Abraham Accords at this point. And so that doesn't seem quite to fit. But the real question is, will this escalate to be the Psalm 83 war? That's the question. And listening to a, a couple of people on TV that seem to be in the know, they think there's a real good possibility this could escalate that other factions around Israel could join the uh, Hamas in trying to destroy Israel. Hezbollah being one of them. So, is this the Psalm 83 war? Well, it's moving that direction. <laughs> it sure looks like the right players are involved with, with the exception of Saudi Arabia at this point. We don't know. We can't know, but it's interesting how things are lining up still the way the scripture tells us they are. Now, that said, and, and by the way, you have the other map here. 
where you can see the different countries that we mentioned, this one. This is a previous handout, I think it's 51. You probably have a colored version of this in your notes. But I made a black and white version so we could look at it. Here are the nations, and you see where, where Jerusalem is at. And you can see all around Israel, Egypt, Jordan. You see Lebanon up north. You see all surrounded here by these different countries. Certainly Gaza. You probably see where Gaza's at in the southeastern part, I mean, southwestern part, along the right next to uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Right there, so. It's interesting, I saw a talk by uh, Amir Safadi, and he was, uh, he, he, it's on YouTube, and it was about two months ago, I think it was, around there, and he asked for special prayer for Israel because somehow he knew that a big attack was coming from all sides. He says, pray for Israel because he could see it would be imminent pretty soon. I don't know how he got the information because it seemed Israel was caught off guard, but he was aware. And he asked for special prayer for the nation because he could see it coming from all sides. Any questions on what we covered so far? Yes, Paul, go ahead. Just, uh, I noticed Iran is not included. What, what's your thoughts about Iran? Are they, sure. are they the conduit of, of money? And, yeah. And these other countries are kind of a proxy, or these other groups are proxy for, for Iran? Yes, I think uh, the question is, wh what role does Iran have to play with all these? And in the... Uh, I think in the video I saw of Amir talking, and from other people said that uh, Iran has funded these terrorists for a long time. It's not just currently they're funding them. All these terrorist activities have been going on for years has been funded by Iran. Now, I probably should say this, and uh, that we've talked about this already. Uh, you have a handout, in fact, of all the ways that Satan has tried to stop God's plan. And this is just another attempt of Satan trying to destroy Israel. And God knows, I mean, Satan knows that if he can destroy Israel, then God's plan cannot be completed. And God's not going to let that happen, folks. Not going to let that happen. But and it's interesting that when you look back in Daniel, and Daniel prayed that he would get insight about what God had in store for his people. It took three weeks for the angel to get to Daniel. And he says, I had to fight the prince of Persia. In fact, the archangel Michael was called in to allow Gabriel to pass through. And who's Persia? Iran. And it tells me that these nations have, it looks like an angel in charge to supervise Satan's plan that's going on. There's a spiritual battle going on that we can't see. The clearest 
clearest indication I have that is read chapter 10 of Daniel. Chapter 10 of Daniel, see what's going on in the battle there. And I don't doubt that this is satanically inspired. In fact, any false religion is satanically inspired. It's not surprising that the Islamic religion is a violent, a violent religion. If you take the Quran, the solution for an unbeliever, if they do not conform, is death. I could give you the verses out of the Quran that indicates that. And so it's not surprised that Iran is supporting all these terrorist organizations. You know, John 10.10 10 says, a thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus is talking about Satan there. And he says, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so we see that Satan's nature is to kill and destroy. And that's what these peoples are doing. And what gets me, I guess, is I see all these demonstrations going on opposing Israel. Even in New York, you see them out there. And again, that's just another ploy by Satan to get public sentiment against Israel. It fits in right into the anti-Semitic views that are in this country. So, go ahead, Jan. Question. Hey, they've been talking on all the news that this was a total shock and surprise to Israel. It appears that it was a surprise to Israel, which is really surprising, right? Yeah. Pardon? It is surprising that it seems like they got caught off guard somewhat. Well, the United States seems, uh, I think Israel even has better intelligence than the United States does. Why do you think that is? I mean, well, you know, that's why I said I can't figure this out because Amir, I saw this on YouTube uh, at least a couple months ago. He asked for prayer that something was going to go on and there was going to be an invasion of Israel from all sides. And he knew that a couple months ago. I think you can probably find it on there if you search for him on YouTube and see his talk that he gave. And uh, I don't know why he would know that. And people, they say that um, Egypt knew something was going on and they communicated that even though Egypt is supposed to be part of this coalition here, they communicated that to Israel and they kind of ignored it for some reason. I don't know why. But I, I, you know, I don't know, you know, I know from what I just see, I don't have any insight on the intelligence or whatever. I don't, I don't have a, a special kind of channel for their defense ministers. All, all I see is what I hear people saying. But it is surprising that that, but here's the thing. It seems to agree with what we're reading here in Psalm 83. Is this the Psalm 83 war? Don't know. But it seems like the players seem to be right so far. And we don't know if more would join or not. That remains to be seen probably next month or two. Or even sooner. We'll know pretty soon what's going on. 
but here's, here's kind of the bottom line. If this is really what we're seeing, what we see in Scripture, then the rapture can't be far behind, folks. Because in order of events occur, why do I say that? When we look at uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, we know that when that war occurs, in fact, if you take a look on the back here, I got a summary of it. We're going to look at it in more detail, but notice, notice what I write here, the results of it. If you, got, if you look at the aftermath down at the bottom of this war, it says, it takes seven years to burn the weapons. Seven years. I doubt if that's going to go on during the millennium. Although there are a couple of Bible teachers that think it will. Because they want to place this war in this tribulation. I think this war has to occur before the tribulation. Because that burning of the weapons will go into the tribulation period and end before Jesus returns. I would think. If it takes seven years, then it has to start before the tribulation. And here's, here is what I think the scenario is, I mean, for me. And that is that when the rapture occurs, this country will be in chaos. Because we have more Christians in this country than others, especially in leadership positions, when the rapture occurs, this nation, I think, will cease to be a superpower. When Russia uses that opportunity then, because Israel will not have anyone to defend her, and Israel goes in with the other nations I list here, God will intervene. And it says that five, six of the army of Russia and Iran and the others, the Muslim nations, will be destroyed on the mountains of Israel. That's up in the Golan Heights, folks. The Golan Heights. Where they're already staging. On the Syrian-Israeli border, that's Golan Heights. Russia's there, Iran's there, and Syria's there already. Staging for a possible invasion. And when their armies are destroyed, by the way, that'll be the opportunity for the Antichrist to make his move. And that'll come out of the economic, or the European Union, the old Russia, I mean, oh, excuse me, the old Roman Empire, excuse me, the old Roman Empire. And he'll be raised up through that because it says he'll come through the old revived Roman Empire. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more in the next chapter here. But I think that's the scenario. So I totally believe for reasons we talked about that the church will be raptured before the tribulation starts. And I think most likely be raptured before Russia invades Israel. That's my own view. There are other prophecy teachers that I think believe the same thing. I don't believe it because I read them. I believe it because the way I interpreted my scripture. That's why I came up with my scenario the way I'm looking at it. But what that means, folks, again, is that if, if what we're seeing is the start of this, that's even more reason to believe that the 
rapture could happen at any time. That our blessed hope, weighing the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, as it says in Titus 2.13, can happen at any moment. And it's like when you read this, you say, this was like what I'm seeing on TV. And when you see Russia, Turkey, and Iran get together and start having now these relationships, you're saying, but isn't Turkey part of NATO? But this is what's supposed to happen. That actually Turkey is getting more and more Islamic. And the new president is more and more of a radical than what they've had before. So things are, yeah, like someone said, things aren't falling apart, they're falling in place. All right, they're falling in place. It's what we're seeing. So can I say definitively this the Psalm 83 war? No. But it certainly could be the start of it. It looks like very, very uh, similar to what we would expect. Well, I'm going to stop there for right now. We're going to take a break. When we get back from the break, I'm going to switch gears. We're going to go back and talk about, yeah, Ron, go ahead. Question? A website, Behold Israel. And what's that? What's on that? And what kind of information's on there? I say that's his website if you're looking for that video. Oh, Behold Israel, because for our mirror. Yeah. Right. Yep. I think if you just type in his name, uh, it'll come up and you'll say, you know, his current message. I think he was at uh, one of the Calvary. Uh, Jack, Jack Hibbs Church. Yeah. He's been at Jack Hibbs Church, but I think he was at a different one. A smaller one, another one of that bunch, Calvary Chapel Church, some sort. I'm sure you can find it, though. It's out there. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll get back in about 10 minutes, and I'll, I'll go back to talking about the, our eternal state. 